You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. are listening to Rum Buncher Radio. My name is Trey Anity. I am joined by two of the best in the business, Nick Caparoso and Marty Leap, site experts, Pittsburgh Pirate, lifelong fans as well. We're going to be bringing you everything Bucko Baseball on each of our episodes of this podcast. Thank you for joining us for our first one here in a time that is much different than any we've really ever dealt with, not just for the game of baseball, but for life as well. A lot is happening right now, gentlemen. Where do we stand? Will we even have a Major League Baseball season? Marty, why don't you get us started? Well, I mean, it, it definitely seems to be growing optimism daily that there will be a season, you know, especially with the owners having uh, approved their proposal. Now, hopefully they can work something out with the players, but it, it definitely appears that there's a much better shot of there being a season than there was even a few weeks ago. And uh, right now I'm all for hope and optimism on any front. Yeah, Marty, I agree. I think – you know, it's definitely trending in the direction that we're going to have a season. Even you saw just Arizona and Florida, you know, opened up and said that professional sports can happen in their state. Now, I think Louisiana actually did also. So I think there's definitely going to be some sort of plan put out and a date set. It's just a matter if we actually get to it, I think, at this point. Now, we've seen a lot of conversation about realigned divisions potentially some of that has been shot down in this this past week here um you know start date is varied july 1st has been a popular one july 4th even do the players get this settled and if they do what is maybe the most likely start date is it as soon as as everybody is hoping yeah i do think that if they get this settled you're probably looking at that first week of july um i mean obviously you don't want to go too much later than that because then you're stuck playing baseball into november and depending on what city you're in that time of year, it's just not feasible to play baseball there that time of year. You know, I, I do think that the July start time is probably the best case scenario. It might be the only case scenario as well. So hopefully they'll be able to get something hammered out. And if you think about it, I mean, it's only in the middle of May right now. If the players can come to an agreement with the owners, you can start up spring training of some sort in two to three weeks from now, give guys two, three weeks to a month, to get stretched out, to get warmed back up, get ready to go, and then by early July, you should be ready for some baseball. 
Yeah, that that seems to be the case with the spring training. I think it looks like they want to do it for, like you said, about two to three weeks. Um, so that gives them a couple more weeks here to get something figured out. Even if, you know, it sounds like the players are very unhappy with the owners, uh, what they came up with. You know, it sounds like they're talking on both sides. So if they're able to work out on some things over the next couple of weeks, I still think having the season start the first week of July or even the second week of July would be um, feasible. Yeah, I think that's, you know, even maybe better than what we were expecting a month ago um, to think about where Major League Baseball was to be talking about a July 4th start date really isn't the worst thing in the world. When that date comes, though, there's been so much conversation about just crazy different rule changes. We haven't seen a universal DH being one of them, potentially, you know, two stadiums or balls and strikes being called by a robot. How much of this is real conversation? I know the Universal DH has been probably the most material of all the talk. Um, do we see this in 2020? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I really believe, and I know Marty does too, that the Universal DH was going to come in the next CBA anyhow. Um, that a couple C- the last CBA, there was a lot of momentum on it. And so I think, you know, based off reports from some of the big names and the baseball reporting business it really sounds like that was heading in that direction anyhow so i think this is just going to be a good opportunity to kind of get that um in place in a shortened season i know there's been talks about people feeling it's unfair but i think with a shortened season it allows teams to call up that top hitting prospect even if it you know that there is a little bit of unfair balance there i think it at least maybe helps them kind of get the kinks out for having the DH in a National League also for the first time. Yeah, that's where I'm at. I fully anticipated that the next CBA, like you said, Nick, would have the universal DH, if not sooner. It looks like we're going to get it sooner. If there is a 2020 season, it would be pretty shocking for there not to be a universal DH. And, I mean, like you said, you know I'm a big proponent of it. I hate watching pitchers hit. I hate whenever it's one nothing in the seventh inning and a guy has to get pulled when he's throwing a gem because the offense isn't doing their job. I know a lot of people will disagree with this, but in my opinion, the designated hitter improves the quality of baseball. So I am all for it. And honestly, the Pirates probably will improve from it as well because you don't have to have Josh Bell's glove at first base anymore. So I'm all for the universal DH. Yeah, that's a great point, Marty. And, you know, with a potential DH this changes lineups everywhere in the National League and especially in Pittsburgh. I don't know if you guys remember that series in Houston this past year uh, when the Pirates dropped that first game, but then the next two days out, they absolutely dominated the Astros. I remember that that third game of the series specifically, the DH was huge in that game. Um, I think it was Colin Moran. It was just big to have that spot come up. And we're going to get into it a good bit the next time we talk here on episode two of the podcast, some potential lineups we could see if a universal DH comes into play for the Pirates, because with so many new faces and guys now out of the organization as well, it, it will really make for an interesting lineup in 2020. But another aspect of this whole thing that is getting completely turned upside down with uh, the way this season is going to turn out is the minor league system. We've heard a lot of talks about expanded major league rosters up to 50 guys. I've heard some saying 30 to begin. What happens in single, double, and triple A uh, this season? Marty? Yeah, this season is going to really impact the minor league system a lot. 
all, all signs are pointing towards there being no minor league system or season, excuse me, even if the major league season gets going. But as you've touched on, you're going to see the expanded rosters. You're probably going to see at least 30 players on the active roster. They've talked about a 20-man taxi squad. So that'll help guys who would have been spending their season at AAA, the top prospects who are starting their AAA, you know, your guys like Key Brian Hayes, Cole Tucker, players like that may not be impacted too, too much because they're probably just going to in turn see more time in the majors. But I think some of your prospects in the lower minors are the guys who are really going to get hit hard by this. You know, Quinn Priester, Brendan Malone, guys like that who are in low A, high A, rookie ball, whoever it might be, who are going to struggle to find the reps this year. I mean, yes, you can go out and pitch in your backyard. You can throw a simulated game down in Bradenton when Pirate City opens back up. But those things just aren't the same as the live game reps. And that's where I'll be very curious to see how this impacts different prospects, how different organizations are going to handle this, assuming there is not a minor league season. What are they going to do to get their minor league guys and to get their prospects, especially those guys in the low minors who are not in a position to get major league reps this year? How are they going to get those guys work? Where are they going to find their innings or bats, things of that sort? And I think the best idea already I've heard with that so far is the concept of just having all the minor leaguers report to Pirate City and more or less just have like a glorified uh, spring training, extended spring training with your own prospects, keeping everyone in-house, having scrimmages against one another. Nothing is like getting actual game experience, but if they're able to get these prospects into Pirate City and get them playing elite center squad games and stuff like that, um, it's, it's better than nothing at this point. But I'm not sure how realistic that is. I'm sure the owners are going to have issues with finances and paying the prospects, and there's going to be battles with that. It's interesting. I feel like there really hasn't been much discussion of late with the minor leagues. I, I just, I'm not sure, like Marty said, I'm just not sure um, what uh, the bulk of the minor league system is going to get this year. And that could really affect, like he said, young pitchers. But I also think of like some of our young hitters, like Cal Mitchell, for instance, who, you know, he, he has a lot of potential as a hitter, but he also, he strikes out a lot. And his strikeout rate has been rising the past few years. And so missing a whole year, that's not going to benefit him. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's just, it's so weird for a lot of these guys that are on the fringe there. And I I think this season is going to be so twisted and so different, obviously, um, in so many ways. But I think the minor league system takes the biggest hit here um, just because these guys aren't going to know any kind of normal moving forward from this. But I think for guys like Cabrian Hayes, this could be a big opportunity do we see Cabrian Hayes on the opening day roster whenever that may be, if it is 30 men? I think so. Um, especially if it's, you know, the last update I've heard about service time, and Marty, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe is that it's going to accrue the same. So if they're only going to play half the season, Cabrian Hayes will be eligible to avoid Super 2. Uh, so yeah, there's no reason why he shouldn't be on the opening day roster, especially if there isn't minor league games going on. Uh, he's the best defensive third baseman in your organization. He has potential at the bat. Uh, you know, he's done, he's been at triple a for a while. He's had his at bats down there. It's not like 
more seasoning at AAA per se is going to help him take that next step. So I don't think that's, like Marty said, it's not as big of a deal for him. But I think there's no reason he shouldn't be on the roster opening day if service time isn't an issue. Yeah, I'm pretty certain that last thing I've read and heard on that was the same, that their service time is going to accrue how it normally would. So like you said, there will be no Super 2. So at that point, there's no sense having him at AAA, especially with the expanded roster. I mean, if you really are that concerned with still trying to get Colin Moran at bats, you're going to have the DH at your disposal. You could play Moran at first with Bell as your DH. You have options there. But if there's an expanded rosters and you're not going to worry about Super 2 because you're only playing half a season, there's zero reason for Key Brian Hayes to not be on the opening day roster for the Pirates. The opening day roster is going to look a lot different than what we've seen. I think we're going to see a good deal more arms than usual. I think this is going to be a big chance for a lot of teams to load up their bullpens. Um, But no matter who is on that roster, it is going to be managed by a completely new face. Derek Shelton is welcomed to the club in a very unusual situation here. Um, But this is the guy that the Pittsburgh Pirates have decided to go with. Guy that spent time in Boston, Toronto, Minnesota, and Tampa Bay before arriving in Pittsburgh. Is this the right hire? Where do the Pirates go? A lot of a lot of questions surrounding um, this hire, and really the letting go of Clint Hurdle. A lot of people believe it wasn't time. Personally, I think a change needed to be made, and I think Derek Shelton is a great hire. Um, how do you guys feel? I like the hire a lot. Um, whenever Hurdle was let go, looking around at potential replacements, Shelton was a guy I held in high esteem from the get-go. And he was a manager that was in hot demand this offseason. The Pirates are not the only team he interviewed with. He had other opportunities and chose the Pirates. And I think the fact that not only just that other teams interviewed him, but he was interviewed by Huntington before he was fired. And Ben Charrington quickly interviewed him as well. Like, obviously, this is a guy who's very well respected by a lot of good baseball minds around the league. I think he will be a very good hire for the Pirates. I think people will need to be ready to take their lumps for a year or two with him just because of the way the roster is built. But I do think that he is a guy who can rather quickly get this organization back on the right track and, if nothing else, at least create a better atmosphere than they had last year under Hurdle. And I think that is something you did start to see in spring training. Yeah, for sure. And I think part of that comes from his past. You know, everywhere he's gone, he's had success. Uh, Tampa Bay, he was uh, Joe Madden's hitting coach for a long time there. And, you know, say what you want about Joe Madden, but, you know, he's been one of the better managers in baseball for the last decade now. Uh, He took Tampa Bay to places they never were at before him. And he obviously got the Cubs their first World Series in, you know, a hundred years. But the fact is that Shelton has kind of won everywhere he's been last year in Minnesota. The Twins, right? Smaller market team. They come out, they break the record for home runs in a season, and Derek Shelton was given a lot of credit for that. We have a lot of young hitters on our team, and I'm excited about the opportunity to see Derek Shelton develop those young hitters. I think that's something that the previous regime, you know, really lacked. I mean, look at Austin Meadows. He came up, was hitting well. All of a sudden, he backed off, he goes to Tampa, and he's back into the All-Star game, okay? And that's what we expected to see from him there. Like I said, I think Derek Shelton, being that he's worked with so many young hitters in Tampa Bay and Minnesota and Toronto, he, you know, this is a perfect setup for him to come into. 
Yeah, and I think that a lot of um, people may have been skeptical about the fact that he has not been at the helm of a club yet. This is his first managing position, but an offensive-minded guy, how do you think this offense works, especially if the Universal DH does become a thing post-2020? Is this guy maybe fit enough to uh, well-round this team, or, or do we just see this offense explode? I think we're going to see the offense explode, not necessarily to like the twins level last year or anything like that. Like Marty said, you know, we definitely still have a lot of places we can improve this team, but I think this team is going to perform better than people are expecting. I think the pitching right now is what's going to hold them back. But I think for hitting wise, I, I think you're going to see Josh Bell take that step forward. I think you're going to see Gregory Polanco come back and look like the Gregory Polanco before his injury. And, you know, you you already saw what Brian Reynolds can do and Kevin Newman can do at the top of the lineup. So I think they're in a good position to have a really solid one through four. Then, like you said, if the DH comes in, you know, that can that just all the further will expand the lineup. Yeah, I also think the offense will be better this year. I mean, there's a lot of factors there. Like Nick said, just having a healthy Gregory Polanco alone makes a big difference. You know, year two of Brian Reynolds. You'd like to see Josh Bell hopefully take another step this year. And even if he doesn't, if he just repeats what he did last year, that's terrific to have. You know, you have Key Brian Hayes knocking on the door of the major leagues. And while he still has room to grow as a hitter, a lot of his peripherals in the minor leagues, exit velocity, hard contact rates, things of that nature, indicate that he is a better hitter than some of his results last year. And he had a strong second half. Yeah, he really took off in the second half. And he talked in the offseason about wanting to add – more more fly balls, more lift to that swing instead of putting the ball on the ground. And in spring training, that seemed to be working. So I think there's a lot of reason for optimism with this offense between who they have, what those guys have shown in the past, and some a lot of with Sheldon's background. And even having Eckstein back as a hitting coach, he did a terrific job last year. So I, I really do think that there, there there is a lot of reason for optimism with this offense. And I want to touch on that too. You were saying about um... – you know, people are concerned about Shelton not managing before. And, you know, I think that's a trend in baseball you're seeing. You're seeing teams go away from those veteran coaches. You're, they're looking for those young up-and-coming guys who are pushing, you know, the, the analytics onto their teams, which, you know, for everyone, there's a lot of people out there who don't like the analytics. But it's pretty much you can look at the last World Series winners and it's a big part of their team and their success, and that's why the game's going in that direction. So analytics are important. Clint Hurdle, it sounds like, and Ray Searage got away from those. And it's it's weird because they were uh they were they led that and that was a big part of their uh culture when they came in here and it, it turned into three playoff seasons. So I don't know what happened, I don't know how they fell behind, but I think Derek Shelton like Marty said in spring training, he's already shown how much of that equipment that he wants to use to help measure these players' exit velocities and their launch angles, et cetera. So, you know, I think anymore in baseball, teams are more concerned with finding the right fits than, you know, the the names. New face at the helm and um, with the assistant hitting coach as well, but a new pitching coach joins the Pirates in Oscar Marin, Spent a year in Texas, had some success there. He comes in to try to kind of start things over and and get away from what we've been seeing these past few years. Do you guys believe this was the right hire for the new pitching coach? 
Yeah, I, I do think moving on from Sierra was definitely the right call. It, Uncle Ray had done a lot of great things in Pittsburgh. I mean, there may not have been a position coach in baseball more popular than he was at the height of the Pirates' success. But it was painfully obvious last year that it was time to move on from Ray Searage, from his pitching philosophy. So, you know, you bring in Oscar Marin, who is a young, fast-rising guy within baseball circles. You know, he has that experience last year being on the Rangers Major League staff. I think it is going to be fun to see him working with these pitchers and letting them kind of be themselves more, not pitching to a style the way Ray Searage was hammering. You know, the fact he's going to go out there and let Chris Archer lean on that slider. He's going to let Joe Musgrove do the same thing. He's going to let Mitch Keller use his curveball and his slider instead of throwing his fastball 80% of the time or whatever it was. You know, those things make big differences. Whenever pitchers are using their best pitches, they're going to pitch more effectively. And I think he's going to let guys – do that more often than Sirius had done the last few years. And I think that alone will make a huge difference for this pitching staff. As crazy as that sounds, you're right, Marty. It's like letting pitchers throw their best pitch, right? And who has done that with the most success over the last couple of years? The Houston Astros, right? And unfortunately for Pittsburgh Pirates fans, Garrett Cole was the prime example of that. And I think that is whenever the city started to turn on Ray Sirius a little bit. I think they saw what Cole was doing in Houston and people started to wonder why wasn't he doing that here? He was good here, but he wasn't that here. He wasn't Cy Young every year here. Okay. And then the next debacle, of course, was Tyler Glass now, who all we heard about was this is the next big pitching prospect coming up in the Pirates system. 100 miles per hour, you know, unhittable. Literally, that's what we heard. He comes up, he looks lost, okay? <laughs> like He looks like he'd never even pitched before. He gets traded to Tampa Bay, and once again, like Garrett Cole, inserts himself into the AL Cy Young conversation. So you're, you're right where last year was when it really became obvious, but I think this started a couple years ago, the, the talk of this. I think last year was kind of last straw, and I think Mitch Keller was that last straw. I think it was clearly evident that, another top pitching prospect was not going to reach his potential here in Pittsburgh. And like you said, that was because they were trying to have Keller pitch the way they wanted him to pitch instead of letting Keller pitch the way he's always pitched. And I get that you need to coach them up, but like you said, let the guy throw his best pitch. (laughs) I think turn is a perfect word there, Nick, Um, because they really, you know, the fans and, and, really the organization was began to turn on race series it's a funny example in tyler glass now there because not only do you send a guy that looked lost in pittsburgh send him to tampa bay and he turns around and has so much success but you get a guy that's highly touted a guy that's supposed to be the huge trade that that this city had been waiting for and then he looks like he can't play the game when arriving in pittsburgh series time was stale in pittsburgh not just series but so many faces inside the front office, including Neil Huntington, uh, who had been general manager with Pittsburgh for quite some time, is relieved of his duties. And all of a sudden, Ben Charrington comes to town after having success on a, on a huge scale, obviously, uh, in Boston, and is now ready to lead this team to a bit of a different style when it comes to the moves that they make. A lot of people excited about the way Charrington is going to set up the Pirates with with prospects get huge return on some guys like we saw with Starling Marte already. 
let's get into Bing Charrington and talk about what we expect to see here in year one and moving forward. My uh, preference this offseason was Ben Charrington. I know I know Arnold from the Brewers was also up there, and I would have been perfectly fine if they went with him as well. But Ben Charrington, for me, was my first choice, not only because, of, like you said, his track record in Boston and obviously building up that farm system in Toronto the last couple of years, but also because of his name, Ben Charrington. He, people knew who Ben Charrington was. People knew he won a World Series with the Boston Red Sox. The Pittsburgh Pirates, they needed to bring in a guy, you know, not just another guy who they're trying to sell to the fans. They don't need to sell Ben Charrington to the Pittsburgh Pirate fan base. His track record does that for himself. So I think that was a big part in in hiring Ben Charrington. But also, like you said, what he's done with the prospects systems of the teams he's been with. He discovered Mookie Betts with the Red Sox, Xander Bogarts. Then he moves up to Toronto and builds a farm system that looks like, you know, a a mini all-star team with the names they have, Bichette, Guerrero, Biggio, right? So I'm hoping that he can bring that here. And and right away, he makes that Starling Marte tray. He brings in two top 10 prospects, uh, Brendan Malone, who was a first-round pick last year. And then with Paguero, who's the young up-and-coming shortstop uh, in the Diamondback system. And, you know, they're obviously really excited about his potential. Now, both those guys were notable prospects. They fell just outside of top 100 lists um, based off of, you know, the part where they give you the who just missed type of thing. But they very well could be on that by mid-season this year, if there is a season, of course. Now, part of the, once again, previous regime's biggest issue is it never seemed like Neil Huntington got those names, right? Like, Brandon Malone, like... People, all you had to do was look up and boom, he was a first round pick. You can find multiple articles on the guy, right? Because he's a top prospect. Huntington seemed to steer away from those guys. I don't know if it was as much financial as it was just him trying to bring in as much talent as possible. Yeah, the probability when you're bringing in more players of finding one that's going to work out. Uh, but that philosophy didn't seem to work out for Huntington. So hopefully, you know, now that Charrington's here, he's going to go get those names. And even if they don't work out, it's a lot easier to sell some of those trades when you're getting legitimate, uh, you know, prospect talent back. Yeah, I I agree with that. You know, one of the big issues with Huntington, I felt towards the end of his regime was going quantity over quality. And I mean, the, the Garrett Cole trade, the perfect example of that. You know, you trade this guy to Houston, you don't bring in any of their top prospects. Instead, you bring in these poor guys who, in like, I love Joe Musgrove. I'm one of the biggest Joe Musgrove fans you ever meet. I think the guy's a terrific pitcher. I think he's an awesome clubhouse leader. But whenever that is the big piece you got back for Garrett Cole, that's not good. You know, <laughs> that, that that's not good. No, he should have been like the third piece, you know. He's that major league piece you get back to fill in for Cole. Exactly. Not not, not the centerpiece of the trade. So I, I think that that will be a pleasant change with Charrington. Like you said, we've already seen it. And his track record indicates that that's what he's going to do. It's what he did in Boston. It's how he built the 2013 World Series team. You know, the Red Sox' most recent World Series team, a lot of Red Sox fans will tell you that the groundwork for that was laid by Charrington before he was dismissed by Boston. So like I said with earlier, Betts and Bogarts and those guys. Yeah, those guys were there because of Ben Charrington. 
So I, I think that he's going to do a great job of replenishing the minor league system, which is something that is needed in Pittsburgh right now. But at the same time, and again, he did this in Boston, and I get that it's not exactly apples to apples because of the financial situations, but he's also proven that whenever his team is in a position to win, he's not going to be afraid to move prospects to go get a guy, you know. And even with, with Charrington, to kind of go back to you real quick, Nick, this is uh, something you and I remember fondly, the 2014 trade deadline with everything with John Lester. And I mean, there was a night it looked like Lester to the Pirates was going to happen, and you and I were on the phone at like 3 in the morning waiting it out. And it never happened, and it, looking back on it, it appears the reason it didn't happen is because Charrington was not moving him for anything less than Josh Bell. So, you know, you just – the guy has an eye for minor league talent. He knows what he wants to do. He's going to stick to his guns. And I think that is something Huntington didn't do in the past as well. And, again, to go back to the cold trade, not to keep heart, uh, digging at that wound, but when he couldn't get – that top flight prospect for Garrett Cole, instead of just holding on to him or looking elsewhere, he then, I don't want to say caved, but moved him for four lesser pieces. And I think Carrington's track record is that he's not going to do that. He'll just as easily hang on to a player before that happens. And Marty, you're, you're right there with the, the Red Sox and Josh Bell demands because the Red Sox were the team that, you know, they were really looking to draft him when Bell was drafted. And they really wanted him. But then after Bell sent the letter out saying that he was planning on going to college, the Red Sox, you know, went in a different direction. So I think that was part of that as well. And that also just shows that dating back that the Red Sox also, you know, were very high on Josh Bell and who obviously is a very talented player. I think there's nothing worse than pulling for a losing team when they're losing because of the front office and in years past it hasn't been entirely on the front office but I think we have now a setup in Pittsburgh that at least sets this team up for success um, on the field whether they want to get that success on the field or not that will be um, to be determined but I think the moves were, were so necessary and it's funny I don't know if you guys remember um, Bob Nutting or maybe it was Neil Huntington even tweeted out back in um, November December that Clint Hurdle will be managing this team the next time the Pirates are in the playoffs. And, well, neither of them are going to be around for that. No, and I think you're exactly right, Trey, with Ben Charrington. Like, you know, when I look at the Pirates and the moves they made, I don't feel they're worse off by any means, you know, and, and, and they shouldn't be. And that's obviously, you know, what you want when you're firing someone and hiring someone. But my point is, is that if anything – you know, these changes have created at least a little more optimism in the city with the Pittsburgh Pirates fans. And, you know, a fresh face kind of hits the reset button on the whole organization. And hopefully, you know, the fans, like you said, will be patient and allow uh, Charrington to get a plan into place here and do that. And a big part of that is going to be the draft, which, you know, we also found out within the last week or so that the, the MLB draft will be occurring on June 10th. Uh, we've I've spent a lot of time covering it at Rumbunner as well as a couple of our contributors. The reason we are covering it so much is because this is Ben Charrington's calling card. And when he hired uh, the assistant general manager, Stephen Sanders, you know, the, the big thing with him was that he was in charge of the Toronto Blue Jays draft up there. So obviously the expectation is that 
the success that they were having up there with drafting and developing players that the that we took Toronto's two biggest draft brains basically and i and i'm really excited to see what they do we have three picks inside the top 45 this year uh we have the seventh overall pick the 31st overall pick and then the 44 overall pick so we're really in a great opportunity for a new general manager to make a mark and you know if if charrington can continue to find those prospects like he has in the past in the draft and having, you know, three high picks, he's really going to be able to bring in elite talent right away to add to the talent he's already brought in with Brandon Malone and Paguero. So fans are going to be pretty on board with what Charrington's going to bring in prospect-wise. I think you're going to see him go after those big names on the on the draft board. I think he's going to be aggressive because I think he knows he needs to make his mark. And honestly, I trust the guy to do it. I know both of you gentlemen cover prospects in the draft very intensely, deeply. If you had to give just one name for that seventh overall pick, who would you project? My most recent um, article actually looked at uh, Kylie McDaniel of ESPN, who was with Fangraphs before that. He's one of the best uh, draft uh, reporters out there. He does a great job and has a great sense of the prospects and who's looking at who. And he mentioned that the, the Pirates seem to be leaning towards a college player at pick seven and especially hitter. Now, there's an outfielder from the University of Arkansas, Heston Durstad. He is a six foot three switch hitting outfielder who has projectable power. You know, I'm talking 30 plus home runs, if not more. He has a pretty strong arm, which is going to definitely set him up to play a corner. He's Like I said, he's 6'3", um, projectable body, so he's going to put some muscle and weight on. They don't need Jerstad to be a center fielder. They'll allow him to stick in a corner, which could also allow him to move up the uh, pipeline a little quicker. And I think that's one thing that uh, Charrington's looking. He's looking at this little bit of a corner that he's built with um, – Malone, Quinn Priester, Tanaj Thomas, and you know that core group of guys, and he's looking to add to that. And Jerstad, being an advanced college bat, could very well enter the system at low A this year. So he would join those pitchers, and that could allow them to have a good wave. Uh, some other names are Patrick Bailey, catcher from NC State. He obviously would be the Pirates' top catching prospect. Uh, the Pirates made it clear this offseason that they need to add catching talent into the system so that's the direction they could go in right now he's ranked just outside the top 10 but i think you know with the team having picks at 31 and 44 if they wanted to save some of their bonus money to be more aggressive with those back two picks instead that would be an opportunity for them as well june 10th save the date it is going to be a bit shorter than uh, it really not a bit. It's going to be drastically shorter than any draft we've had in recent memory, but it is going to be a fun one. And it's going to be really interesting, like you said, Nick, to see how this front office lays the ground for future Pittsburgh Pirate teams. That is all the time we have for episode one. We're going to be back with you before that June 10th date at least one time talking lineup projections for this season. We're going to get into the rotation and the bullpen as well. You can find us anytime on rumbunter.com, rumbunter app, or on Twitter at Rumbunter. For Marty Leap and Nick Caparoso, my name is Trey Anity. Thank you for joining us. Let's go Bucks.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.